This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I have a friend who has an extremely, extremely successful marriage. He's somebody who works on it, constantly striving to make his marriage better, putting his wife first. Really a successful husband. He calls me up and he says, I have a really funny thing that's going on in my house. Maybe you have a, an answer for this, like a reason for what's going on. I said, sure. He says, tells me how his wife is towards the end of a pregnancy. And he says, it's the weirdest thing in the world. He says, I could be at work. I could be in the gym. I could be playing basketball. I could be sleeping. He says, I get these like pains which later on, when I talked to my wife about it, she says, oh, yeah, you got it around 9 o'clock in the morning? She says, yeah, I started feeling like contractions. I started feeling like pain at that point as well also. She said, like, how, how is that possible? Like, how is that, how is that possible? He's like, sometimes I'm not with her. Like, it's, I'm not even there. How does that make any sense? There's a story in the Chumash which is one of my favorite stories because it teaches you so much when it comes to like a negotiating play. The story goes when Binyamin is being asked by Yosef to come down to Mitzrayim. Yosef tells the brothers, go up to Yaakov, your father, tell him that he needs to send Binyamin down. And Yaakov is very, very hesitant. He turns to the brothers and said, he's not going down. There's nothing to discuss here. He's not going down. And Ruvain steps forward. And Ruvain says, If if my if I don't bring him back, my two sons are gonna die. And Yaakov looks at him and he says to him, Not happening. Yehuda steps forward and he says very famously, I guarantee you that if you give me Binyamin, I will bring him back. Yaakov says, you could go with Yehuda, you can't go with Ruvain. Ruvain is not being in charge over here. If you look in the Mepharshim there, they say that when Yaakov turned to Ruvain and said to him, my son is not going down with you, he said, you are a foolish son. Why was he a foolish son? Because what do you mean your two sons are going to die? If you don't bring back Binyamin, your two sons are going to die. What, they're two, your two sons are not my grandchildren? Like, what, what are you trying to accomplish over here? Your, your, your statement, your negotiating statement just doesn't, doesn't work. It's like, you have like a five-year-old kid, right? And he walks into the room and he says, Can I watch a movie? And the parents say, No. Can I watch a movie? No. Can I watch a movie? No. You can't watch a movie. Okay, well, if you don't let me watch a movie, then I'm never going to watch a movie ever again. Okay, <laughs> like, your negotiating tactic is just not adding up. If you don't let me watch a movie, I'm never going to eat lollipops. <laughs> okay, don't eat lollipops. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Your negotiating stance just doesn't make any sense. What on earth was Ruvain coming and trying to sell Yaakov? He tells him, send Binyamin with me. You know why? Because if I don't bring him back, then my other two sons will also, will also die. I was like, what, what type of a negotiation is this? Like, if my son dies, 
then your two sons are going to also die? Like, where are you coming from? So I think the answer is actually a very profound answer. Ruvain turns to Yaakov, and he says to Yaakov, listen, you have a concern. Your concern is that Yosef, as far as you understand, is missing. He's MIA. He's missing in action. You don't know where he is. For all intents and purposes, he's dead. Now you have another son, Binyamin. You're concerned that he's also going to be killed. Ruvain says to his father, listen, I'd like to understand where you're coming from, Daddy. I want to I wanna understand it. In order for me to understand what your loss of two sons are going to be like, I'm willing to put two of my sons up on the chopping block so that I can begin to digest and understand what it is that you are going to potentially be going through. And just as you don't want to go through this, I also don't want to go through this. Ruvain wasn't coming with a nonsensical argument. Argument. He was saying very simply, I want to understand where you're coming from, so I'm going to put myself in a similar situation so that I can understand what you would be going through. I want to feel empathetic, but right now I, I'm not. And I think to that, even to that pretty intelligent claim, Yaakov turns to him and says, Bini Shaita. That is a foolish argument. It's a foolish negotiation. Why? Why is it such a foolish negotiation? I'm trying to understand you. I'm trying to feel you. I'm trying to try to become one with you. I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. I think the answer is very simple. Because empathy and love and feeling somebody else is not based on the premise that you have gone through what they are going through. Empathy and love and feeling somebody else and kesher and this deep idea of becoming one with somebody is built on the principle that you love them so much and therefore you become one with them. You feel them. You live their life through the means of a strong connection with them. That's the idea of Kesher. It's not that, well, I have no idea what you're going through. A migraine? I never had a migraine. So I can't, I can't feel bad for you. I can't feel you. No. It's not when I have a migraine, I feel your migraine. It's when I feel the love for you, when I internalize what you are going through, then I can feel it even without having gone through it myself. A man and a woman who work on this idea, they become one. They start to feel each other. This friend of mine is a great, great friend of mine. He's somebody who's gone through a lot of my courses at MarriagePro.co. He's digested everything along with his wife. And he understands these principles of what it takes to actually build a marriage that's not just an average marriage. It's a way above average marriage to the point where he starts to feel his wife. Now there's actually a concept. It's called the Covade syndrome. The Covade syndrome is like sympathy pains. It's like you're going through something. I start to feel that thing even when I'm not with you. And it almost sounds like esoteric. Like, wow, how's this ever, how's this possible? But it is possible. It's possible because I love you 
And therefore I feel you. I get to know you so well and deep that we become one. We start to feel each other. A lot of times you have this with twins. One has pain and the other one just senses it. They understand each other. That is a successful, successful marriage. Yehuda turns to Yaakov and simply by Yehuda showing up, he turns to Yaakov and he says to him, There's two elements here. Number one, who is Yehuda? Yehuda had lost two sons already. But notice how he doesn't have to flaunt that. He doesn't mention that, which would have been such, an, such a great card to play. He could have stepped forward and said, Hey daddy, if the whole thing here is that somebody had gone through what you are scared of, I'm the guy. Because I already lost two sons. So then, give him to me. But that's not what Yehuda says. Yehuda doesn't say, give him to me because I lost two sons, so therefore I'm going to be more careful. He says, Which means, let's stop talking. Let's do something about this. It's like, there are some people, their wife turns to them, it's like, Pesach time. And she's like, can you please do me a favor, put away the sukkah? And he's like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, for sure. Like, goes outside, putters around for five minutes and comes in. She's like, mm, don't think you put away the sukkah. He's like, yeah, I, I rolled up the sukkah. It's like, you're, you're, not, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. You have to push yourself. You got to go out. It's like when you ask a five-year-old kid, can you run downstairs and find my glasses? And he goes downstairs and he comes up 10 seconds later. He's like, I don't see it. Of course you don't see it. Because you didn't, you didn't look. I looked. You, you didn't look. If you want something really bad, you're going to go make sure it gets done. And Yehuda steps forward and he says, Stop talking. I guarantee you, I am bringing him home. That's my job. That's my goal. That's what I'm going to do. Nothing is going to stop me. Nothing. It's not enough to just go, Ay, tis, tis, it's so, so sad. Ay, vey. No, that's not enough. You have to do something about it. Do something about it. Stop talking and do something about it. I can't tell you how many times a week I get calls, I get emails from people who they say, you know, marriage, there's, I know so many people who have bad marriages, who need work, who need counseling, who need, oh, it's just so bad. Stop talking. Let's do something. Let's get up and do something about it. Let's support organizations that are doing something about it. Let's offer our help, our time, our resources to do something about it. Enough talk. That's what Yehuda says. Enough talking. Get up and do something about it. There are people who call me up. They say, my marriage is so bad. I'm like, great. I have this whole curriculum. You could do it right now. Stop what you're doing and start watching these classes. It will change your life. Oh, I'll think about it after the summer. After the summer, it's six months away. Yeah, oh, I know, it's just so bad. They'll fetch and fetch and fetch. People like to talk. You, this is, I'm not talking. I'm doing something about it. I have another friend. He told me, he's sitting in his office one day, the busiest day of the year during the busiest season of the year. And all of a sudden, his wife calls him. And she says, hi, how are you? I need to talk to you. And he's like, yeah. She's like, my head is hurting. I really have a migraine. I'm not dealing so great with the kids. I think I need you to come home. He's like, oi, oi, honey. Never. <laughs> oi, okay. Take care. It's going to be great, wonderful. 
And his wife's like, no, no. I need you to come home. He's like, oh, Yvay, it must be so bad. Take some Advil. Okay, Shefala, okay, okay, Atzlacha, you're so great. I'm so proud of you. She's like, no. I need you to come home. <laughs> no Shefala, I need you to come home. So he turns to the secretary and he says to her, listen, I need you to cancel my day. I'll make up my appointments a different time. I'll work overtime. I'll come in at night. I need to go home. Because of all the things that I have in my life, the number one thing is my wife. The number one thing in my whole life is my wife. And my wife needs me right now. And therefore, I'm going to make sure that I'm there for her. Successful marriages don't just happen. Successful marriages take a tremendous amount of work. And that work begins with feeling for someone else. That work begins with saying, I am not two, I am one. Now I love you and I feel you and I know what you're going through. And I put in the work to develop Kesha so that our marriage is not just two people living in the same house, coexisting under the same roof and just going, because that is not the litmus test for a successful marriage. Yaakov turns to Ruvain and he says, my son, you are a shaita. You are a fool. You're a fool if you think that the only way you can feel my pain is if you go through this yourself. That's not a successful relationship. A successful relationship is, I feel you, I know what you're going through, and now I'm going to do something about it. And when you take that step, you will propel your marriage to levels that you cannot imagine. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.